Please have a seat. And now I have the privilege to welcome up a brother that we've gotten to know more recently. Moved here from California. Pastor Al and I have similar, some similar roots uh, from Grace Community Church and John MacArthur and Master Seminary. Uh, and so he's a wonderful brother, loves the Lord, gifted teacher. And so please come, Alan, and teach us. together I've been assigned the topic of fighting for the faith or fighting for the truth as it is in Jesus Christ and that particular subject is addressed in the or by the apostle in the first uh, verses 10 through 16 of Titus 1 so let's go ahead and turn there Titus 1 starting in verse 10, I'm going to go ahead and read the text, we'll pray, and we'll get into it. The Word of God says, For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. One of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. For that reason, reprove them severely, so that they may be sound in the faith, not paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, Nothing is pure, but both their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny Him, being detestable, and disobedient, and worthless for any good deed. Let's pray together. Spirit of God, we ask for you to open up our ears, soften our hearts, give us to see the truth as it is in the Son of God, and bless us now, we ask in His name. Amen. Football stadiums, company headquarters, government buildings, concert venues, army bases, police, precincts, all of those have one thing in common. They have one meeting point. They are similar at least in one way. And that isn't the fact that they are protected, they're guarded, they have some sort of security system. And that is because men understand that the world is such that when you leave something unprotected, you actually expose it to danger. You make it vulnerable to theft, destruction, vandalism. So to keep that from happening, we secure our properties, we fortify them, we come up with defense mechanisms to neutralize any potential threat. Now, if we do that for physical things, imagine how much more we as Christian men need to do it for the truth. I mean, the truth of the gospel has been passed down to us. We are 
the recipients of that from a previous generation, and we are to protect it and entrust it to a following generation. So the gospel now is our possession as Christians. Nevertheless, nothing is more viciously attacked in the world than the truth. No one has more enemies than Lady Truth. No opposition is as fierce as the opposition to the truth. And that's why if we're going to be sound men, we have to be willing to fight. We have to be willing to do battle, to guard the good deposit that has been entrusted to us. That's why Paul, or that's what Paul is basically telling Titus at this point. Immediately after telling him that elders and all the Christian men by extension ought to have a solid commitment to the faithful word, to the truth. Then he calls on Titus in verses 10 to 16, the one we just, the passage we just read, to fight for the truth. And throughout these verses, he gives Titus a few reasons why. He motivates Titus to do battle in a few different ways, starting with the reality of false teachers. That there are false teachers who twist the truth. So we fight for the truth because false teachers will twist it. Look at verse 10. Paul says, For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. Notice the word many there. And this is to say that the opposition to the truth, as, a, as I said, is massive. The armies are lined up to do battle against the word. And these armies are led primarily by those whom Paul refers to here as rebellious men. That means that they are men who hate authority. They refuse to come under the law of God. Although, to be clear, it's not as though that's always very clear or open rebellion is seldom or seldom an open thing that's why these men here that Paul is describing are described as empty talkers and deceivers empty talkers on the one hand means that they wax eloquent about nothing they, they're they're skilled at knowing how not to say the truth like the politician who skirts questions and he's good at it the adjective deceiver, on the other hand, speaks of what these teachers do say, and that is lies. Lies about everything. Lies about God. Lies about the law of God. Lies about Christ. Lies about salvation. And for that reason, the minister of the gospel and the faithful churchman with him cannot afford to ignore them. You have to identify them, first of all. And Paul lays that example here by identifying false teachers when he singles out those of the circumcision. Again, verse 10 says, there are many rebellious men, especially those of the circumcision. Now we know that circumcision was the covenant sign of God for Israel. Uh, so we know that he's speaking of Jews here, but not just Jews in general, but rather these had been Jews who had professed faith. They had joined the church but they were still insisting on circumcision and the rest of the ceremonial law, the Mosaic ceremonial uh, uh, regulations as prerequisites for justification. In other words, they were men who said that for you to be a Christian, for you to come to Christ, you first needed to come and convert to Judaism. 
And you needed to hold on to the old religion and come to the new religion through the old religion. You needed to commit yourself to the regulations of the Mosaic law, the feasts, the rituals, the food regulations, so forth and so on. We call them Judaizers. And Paul's listing them here as one group. Although that's not the only group, but they are one group that title or the Titus is going to have to do battle with. Uh, notice, by the way, the willingness to be specific here. Paul identifies who the opponent is. He's not worried about preserving other men's influences or, or, or their reputations. No, but he identifies this group as rebellious, empty talkers, and deceivers. And what is Titus to, be about, uh, to, to do about them? Well, what, what is he to do about these men as a gospel minister, and not only as a gospel minister, but as a Christian and a Christian man? Well, verse 11 says, they must be silenced. They must be silenced. Notice the, uh, the word they are, or must there. This is not optional. You don't get to go play yard games while the enemy is raising your village. You don't get to go out for dinner while the thief is plundering your house. No, you have a duty. You have a duty as a man. You have a duty as a Christian to silence those who oppose the truth. You say, is this a call for physical violence? Call for outward force? And the answer, of course, is no, that's not the gospel way. Paul himself will say that in 1 Corinthians 10.4. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of, of fortresses. We are destroying what? Speculations. And every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So the battle that churchmen are engaged in really is a battle of ideas. Which means that the silencing here primarily has to do with refuting false teaching. Dismantling crooked systems with the word of God. Showing others how it is that this system or that system or this this teaching or that teaching contradicts scripture. You ask, okay, so are you saying that once a heretic has been refuted, he will stop teaching? Will he go away for good? The answer we know is no, at least not in most cases. Otherwise, the reformers would have ended Roman Catholicism. Otherwise, Andy Stanley would not be preaching anymore. But he is. And that shows that exposing a heretic does not mean that he himself will shut his mouth. Although to be sure, Paul knows that. And that's why he adds there, he would tell you that if this teacher is at your church and he refuses to stop teaching after being confronted about it, then you excommunicate him. You put him out of the church. He says that in chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. Reject or drive out. I factious man, hereticos in the Greek, a heretic, drive him out after the first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and sinning, being self-condemned. You say, that sounds mean. Doesn't that violate the Christian spirit, brother? And I say to you, do you know what else violates the Christian spirit? Men and women turning away from the faith. Professing Christians being induced to commit apostasy because that's exactly what's at stake here. And that's what Paul says in the rest of verse 11. He says that these rebellious men have to be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things that they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. In other words, they're leading people astray, 
whole families, not just individuals, but entire families, to make money. So no, this is not an overreaction to drive out a divisive man because cell, souls depend on it. Now that's one reason why we ought to fight. Here's another one. Sound men fight for the truth because immorality rejects it. Because immorality rejects the truth. Look at verse 12. It says there, one of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Now the man being spoken of here, the author of this quote, is a poet of antiquity by the name of Epimenides. He himself was a Cretan, so he's less likely to slander the Cretans. He doesn't have a, a, a dog in this fight, as it were. If anything, he would defend them, but he is saying himself, his own people, that they're always liars and evil beasts and lazy gluttons. These were their societal sins. These were the socially acceptable transgressions. Lying, violence, laziness, and gluttony. And Paul knew that firsthand. He says in verse 13, this testimony is true. In other words, I've been around Greece long enough to know that no one will bat an eye if you are a brutal person, or if you're a liar, or if you're entitled, or if you're just given over to sensuality. These were the signs, the sins of the, of the Cretans. They were celebrated and welcomed in that culture, and they actually sound a little bit like our sins as well, don't they? And we're at that point of degeneracy now. A man decides to put on a dress and say he's a woman. We clap at him, we celebrate him, join the lie. We don't believe in truth anymore, we are liars. And we've also embraced Violence, laziness, and gluttony. I think that the, the perfect illustration of that is the proverbial grown man who plays some shooter game for hours on end with a bag of Cheetos on the one hand and a 12 pack of Coke on the other. Violence, laziness, and gluttony. And Paul tells Titus exactly what to do about this here. He says, for this reason, reprove them severely. Notice, severely. Use sharp words of truth if you have to. Go to that brother who's out of line and say, Brother, why are you acting that way? Why are you still living like a teenager? Why are you still out playing games like a little boy? Right? Whatever happened to being a faithful husband and a faithful father, did you know that your immaturity is bringing shame to Christ? Do you even love Christ? And if you do, why are you still behaving like a child? You see, a sharp rebuke, rightly administered, is medicine for the soul. I'm going to say that again. A sharp rebuke, rightly administered, is medicine for the soul. In fact, Paul says that same thing here in verse 13. He says, rebuke them severely for, that, for what reason? To what end? So that they may be sound in the faith. He spoke of the word sound that relates to good health. So your rebuke may actually bring your neighbor's faith to good health. To good health. And in this context, what that means specifically is that your brother, in turning from his vicious lifestyle, turning from his sin, will actually be protected against the predations of false teachers. Notice again what that Paul says in verse 13 reprove, reprove them severely so that they may be sound in the faith verse 14 not paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn away from the truth 
on the Jewish myths here and the commandments of men who turn away from the truth, I believe are one and the same thing. They're the same thing that the Gospels call the traditions of the elders. These were human regulations, empty rituals. They actually did not accomplish anything with God and hence they're called myths. Nevertheless, they did pacify the consciences of the disobedience or the, or, or the disobedient. Man-made rituals do that. They give you a sense of spirituality. Well, you're actually living in disobedience. That's why false religion thrives so much. But Paul is saying here that if you help your brother who is sinning turn from sin, then he will not be forsaking the truth. He will not be liable to forsake the gospel that he professes. He'll no longer be tempted to run to lies to be able to appease his raging conscience. Because he'll be walking with the Lord. So we fight for the truth because immorality rejects it. Third and final reason. We fight for the truth because false teachers twist it. We fight for the truth because immorality rejects it. Third, we fight for the truth because good works require it. We fight for the truth because good works require the truth. Look at verse 15. Paul says, To the pure all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their mind and their conscience are defiled. Now this group that Paul is referring to here at the beginning of verse 15, the pure are believers. That's what a Christian is. A Christian is not someone who's been to church all their life. Not someone who's been born to Christian parents. Not someone who knows how to say all the right things. But rather, a Christian is one who has been inwardly purified by the Spirit of God through regeneration. He's been born again. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11, Paul says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you. But what? You were washed. You've been clean from that. You were washed. You were sanctified. You've been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of God. And right here in the book of Titus, in Titus 3, 5, Paul says... He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Spirit. So if you have been born again, you're pure. If you believed in the name of the Son of God, you're pure, you're clean. But remember, these Judaizers were wanting to drag Christians into the ceremonial law, into the shadows of the, of the Mosaic administration. In other words, they effectively wanted to give believers all sorts of ways of becoming impure or at least thinking that they were impure nevertheless Paul says here that the only unclean people in all of this are them the false teachers he says they are defiled and unbelieving he says even their mind and their consciences that's just to say the whole man is defiled there's not even a hint of purity in these men it may seem that way but there isn't and what gives that away? What is the only indicator, I ask, for us as finite creatures to know the state of someone's soul can look 
into the invisible, but it's their fruits, right? By their fruits you shall know them. A man's works, his deeds, tell you whether he knows God. And that's why Paul says, they profess to know God. They say it with their mouths, but by their deeds they deny Him. Being detestable and disobedient and worthless of any good deed. Now the word detestable means that God Himself is repulsed by these men. They were all headed for hell. And the word disobedient explains their relationship toward the divine law. The law condemns them. But most strikingly here, Paul says that they were worthless for any good deed. In other words, they could not perform a single good work. They could not please the Father in one way. Why? Well, precisely because they did not have the truth. All they had was myths and empty ritualism. So if you've never re received the truth as it is in Jesus Christ, if you have never embraced the gospel, if you've never turned away from your sins and believed in Him for your acceptance with God, then you cannot do a single thing to please the Father. And in fact, everything that you do, except believe in His Son, is offensive to Him. Isaiah 1, 11 and 16 and 18 what are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from my side. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are like crimson, they will be like wool. In other words, let me clean you up. The Lord calls for us to come as we are and let Him take the sin. Let Him take the sin and give us in exchange for our sin the perfect righteousness of His Son. Come to Christ. Repent of your sins. If you've never done that before, come to Him and believe in Him. Are you still in your sins? Are you still a servant of the devil? Is He still holding you captive? Would God cast you out of His presence if you died today? Would that happen to you, brother? Would it? If so, believe in Christ. And you will be saved. You will be able to do good works that actually please the Father. Not to earn His acceptance, but because you have it. And then you'll relate to Him as a loving Father. That's what the truth will do for you. And that's why once you have the truth, you protect it. Proverbs 23, 23. Buy the truth and do not sell it. And I might add to that, once you have it, fight for it. Live for it, fight for it. Fight for it against the assaults of false teachers. Fight for it against the inclinations of your own sinful flesh. And fight for it. Because having good works that bring glory and honor to the Father depend, depends on that. Let's pray. We do thank you, our great God, for the preciousness of your word. We pray that you would bless it to us. In Christ's name, amen.